0: Father, I pray today that you would speak to us through the power of your word, God, that in the midst of, again, what we see as chaos and turmoil and really a lack of love for our neighbor, for a neighbor, God, we would realize that you are at work, that even in the midst of everything, you have everything in control, knowing that uh, sin was evident from the beginning with Adam. And as a result, mankind still continues to sin. And so as a result, we also suffer the consequences of that. And so God, I pray even now for what's going on. I pray for the people in Syria who have been bombed by their own dictator, that uh, God, we see a lack of love for a neighbor in that. And God, I pray that we can be people who can have compassion for those who are in a hopeful and hurtful situation or a hopeless and hurtful situation. But God, most of all, we pray and know that you are at work uh, even through this. It's in Jesus' name I pray, Amen. If you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter nine. We're continuing our uh, the King and His Kingdom series, and uh, I want you to think about this. And we're what we're as we talk about this. When Ethan was a little boy. Um, he would sing this song. There was a song by a guy named Toby Mack. For those of you who are into Christian music, you might know a little bit about what I'm talking about when I talk about Toby Mack. For those of you who are old, if I turned it on, your ears would probably bleed. Um, So I'll spare you, but I'm not joking. It's really good music but you may not think so. So, but anyways, we would listen to this song called Lose Your Soul by Toby Mack, And it says something about, I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul. And Ethan, when he was about two or three, would sing, I don't want to kangaroo my sword. Uh, and so it was one of those things that any time we hear this song, I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul, always reminds me of my son not wanting to kangaroo his sword. Um, so I don't know what brought that up. You know how, any of you ever sing words to songs that you thought were one way, and then somebody's like, dude, what, what the heck are you talking about? It goes nothing like that. Like my wife has corrected me on multiple occasions when I was singing a song, and she's like, Bro, that's not the way the song goes, dude. And you're like, yeah, it is. No. And then you look up, anybody take out Google, look up the lyrics of the song. You're like, oh yeah, she's right. Um, So the reason why I bring that up is because we're going to head into this idea of gaining the world and losing the soul. In Matthew chapter 16, you can turn to Matthew 19, but in Matthew chapter 16, verse 26, it says this, what good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And so Jesus is talking about that and he's jumping into it. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 19 and you can read along with me. You don't have to read out loud. Um, If you don't have your Bible, you can follow the words on the screen, but listen to what it says here as we go along. Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. All right. And he says this, now a man came up to Jesus and asked, teacher, what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? Matter of fact, if you have your Bibles and you're following along with this, I always try and encourage people to uh, circle and highlight. I'm a circle or highlighter type guy. Uh, and, and, and I want you to circle the word I because there's a key theme that's gonna run through this. What good deed or what good thing must I do to inherit eternal life? In verse 17, he says, why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, there's only one who is good. And if you want to enter life, keep the commandments in which he says this. And I love the question because really this is the reality of where most of us fall into line. Which ones? The man inquired. And Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, honor your father and mother, and love your neighbor as yourself. And then listen to verse 20. We always love the people who are self-righteous in a certain way or the people who think they got it all figured out because he says this. All of these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Have you noticed that? All of these I have kept, and what do I still lack? In the midst of keeping all the laws, in the midst of all the legal ramifications, and doing the Ten Commandments, or following the commandments, he says, I've I've kept all of those, but what do I still lack? See, the reality is that legalism or this mentality that I can accomplish things on my own if I just follow these certain rules, God wants to show us a bigger picture that legalism is not what leads us into righteousness, all right? So he says, all of these I have kept. What do I still lack? And Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. And listen to what happens in verse 22. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. All right? This is a reality in, 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 in America, in all honesty. I don't know if you realize this, but the, the, it, it, as far as an overarching theme, Americans are rich, even if you're poor. You are rich. If you make more than $12,000, you are in the... Listen... 12000 and some of you can go, oh my gosh, $12,000, I couldn't live on that. In reality, you can't live on that in America, but if you make over $12,000, you realize you're in the top 2% in the world in making money. That should blow your mind about how rich we are. And in America, we have a massive problem with this idea of trying to pick ourselves up and, and accomplish things that we can't accomplish on our own. And I want you to remember this, because as we've talked about the king in this kingdom, we've talked about this already-but-not-yet kingdom. In other words, Jesus came, he lived, he died, he starts to establish his kingdom in that, but yet it's not completed. It's not at the end. There's this bigger picture that's going to come about, and I'm, I'm excited because over the next two weeks, we're going to wrap up our series in the next two weeks, over the next two weeks, we're going to kind of talk about kind of the end. We're going to lead towards that end. What's it mean when the end of the kingdom comes? How is that going to look? What's it going to do? How's it going to play out? Things like that. But God's kingdom has already arrived, but it's not complete yet. So we have to see that, that all throughout the Bible, we see God working to establish his kingdom. God is continually working to establish his kingdom all throughout the Bible. And listen to what man does. Man loves to attempt to build his own kingdom. So in reality, what we're reading here is a rich young ruler who has risen in leadership potential, he is loaded with money and possessions. He's looking for the next greatest thing to add to his checklist for accomplishing his big kingdom for himself, and yet he's still worried about eternal life. Okay? This is America, really, in, in, a, in a nutshell. This is this big picture played out. We've got all kinds of things we look at, but there's a doubt in so many people's life is what does it mean to be a part of the kingdom of God or how do I know if I have eternal life? Matter of fact, there's a big movement really right now to say, hey, when I'm dead, I'm dead. You just stop. There is no life after death. But what we're gonna see here is really an answer that Jesus wants to point us to. What he wants us to see The big picture, the overarching picture of Jesus' kingdom is that Jesus' kingdom is not about you and I, it's about him. It's not about what you can do to get into the kingdom, but what God did to get you into the kingdom, how God wants you to be a part of his kingdom, how God wants you to be an active role and participant in playing out in his kingdom, in his big kingdom picture. And so as we begin to jump in and look at that, we're just gonna simply answer this question because we're gonna walk simply through the scripture and we're gonna point out, I'm gonna point out a number of things that I wanna walk through that answers this question. What must I do to get eternal life? Because like I said, in today's culture, we have a work-based mentality that has gotta be something I have to do that I can do on my own apart from anything else. What is it I can do to gain eternal life? And so I want you to remember this. If you remember anything, you remember this, that if Jesus is not Lord of all, he's not Lord at all in my life. That means everything in my life has to fall under his lordship and his leadership. He is the king over all of my life or he is the king over none of my life. That's the big picture that Jesus lays out here. Because the reality is this, every one of us, struggles with something. It may not be money, it may be something else. And what we're gonna see here is this, that the money, the wealth, the prestige that this rich young ruler had, had, had profited from or had, had earned was in reality his idol he had set up. And so when Jesus says, hey, go and get rid of the thing that's greatest in your life, what's he do? He walks away. Hopeless because he didn't want to give up the very thing that held his heart. So we're going to jump in, and we're going to answer this question again. What must I do to get eternal life? And so as you follow along with me, I want to point out a number of things. We're going to do this just a little bit differently, but I want to go kind of verse by verse as we jump through this section of Scripture to identify the king and his kingdom, because here's the reality. Here's what we see. Everything but... I don't want to gain the whole world and lose my soul. But the reality is this. A lot of times we'll go and do everything but what we need to do. In other words, we're going to go through everything and try and accomplish everything on our own, but put our faith and trust in Christ. And so here it is. If Jesus is not Lord of all, he is not Lord at all in your life, what must I do to get or inherit eternal life? Number one is this, that Jesus must be both Lord and God. That means he is my master, he is over everything that goes on, and he is God at the same time. We have to acknowledge Jesus for who he is, because listen to what he says. Now a man, matter of fact, if you were to go on and read Mark and Luke, which both have Uh, sections or or both talk about this part of the parable or this part of the story, all right? Mark gives us a little more detail. It tells us that this young man in reality came running up to Jesus and kneeled before him. In other words, there's just a respect. There's an authority. There's an assumption. There's a belief that this teacher is greater than him. But the problem is, listen to what he says. Now a man came up to Jesus. He came running up to Jesus, fell at the feet of Jesus, kneeled, and he asks this teacher. Now, teacher is a statement that he's trying to make because he's not acknowledging God as Lord Jesus as Lord and God. He's acknowledging him as what? A prophet, a good teacher, a person to learn from, a person to get good moral values from. Does that sound like something that's running rampant in American culture to a certain extent? We can acknowledge Jesus as a good teacher. We can acknowledge Jesus as a prophet. We can acknowledge Jesus as a moral person who accomplished lots of good moral things. We can learn from his teachings. But listen to me, if you learn from Jesus' teachings and deny Jesus as Lord, then you don't understand Jesus' teaching because Jesus was always teaching and pointing to himself as the son of God. That he should be Lord of our lives. He should be first and foremost in everything that goes on. See, This young man had a desire to do good, and being good are two separate things. Everybody has, in some way, shape, or form, a desire to do good, do we not? I mean, there are times where we don't necessarily do good, but we have a desire to do good. We may have good intentions, but there is a difference between a desire to do good and actually being good. You know, if I said I have a desire to do good, but then went out and like beat the living daylights out of somebody, I'd say, well, my desire was to do good, but everybody'd be like, well, you're not good. Deep down inside, you're a jerk. Okay, so desire means nothing. What I have to do is I have to make Jesus both Lord and God of my life. See, all present This young man is rich. All all of the synoptic gospels, all Matthew, Mark, and Luke present this young man as a rich young man. Matter of fact, you looked at the end of what we talked about and it says he went away because he had great wealth. So we see that in Mark, it says it was the rich young man and Luke, it says he was a rich young man. He probably was an owner of, of a lot of land probably an owner of some property, but he's also, listen, in his younger years because they called him a rich, young ruler and he had become a ruler or leader in his synagogue. That's the reality of what we're seeing played out. He is a spiritual leader in his synagogue at his home. He's got wealth, he's got power, he's got leadership influence. He's actively involved in what we would call to a certain extent at that time, his local church. He's paid his dues, or he's earned it, I should say. And he comes to Jesus and asks this big question. A question loaded with all kinds of significant meaning. And so here is this young man who has great experience, who's had great success in every area of life. He's had riches, he's got respect, he's got position, but yet there's some inner turmoil. And here's what I find ironic, or here's what I've seen. I believe that this is an inner turmoil that is evident in everybody's life. Regardless of where you are at financially, regardless of where you're at in in, in a form of a position in work, I believe that everybody in some way, shape, or form has this feeling, this inner turmoil. In other words, is this life, is this all there is to life? Are you telling me that it's about waking up every day, doing my 40, 50, 60 hours a week, come home, love my kids, hang out with them, wake back up, do the same thing, hang out over the weekend, go to church on Sunday, maybe not go to church at all. Is that all that life is about? There's an inner turmoil. He's asking this question. Tell me, how do I have purpose in my life? how does everything that I have gone through in life have meaning and value? That's what he's asking God. He's asking Jesus that. How do I have meaning and value in life? What must, listen again, I do. What must I do to gain value and purpose and meaning? That to me right there nails it to the wall? Because you know how many questions or how many times I've had conversations with people that that's the question? How do I know that my life has value? How do I know that everything that I do has meaning? When somebody is about to lose a loved one and you're standing there and they say, how do we know that everything, I mean, yeah, we love them, look at what they did, but how do we know that their life wasn't in vain. And Jesus begins to answer that question in a very simple way. See, there was some inner turmoil and he asked this great question, why? Why does he ask this great question? Because I believe he lacked an assurance of an eternal security that God wants him to have. What good thing must I do? Listen, we all struggle with that question. There's gotta be something good I can do to get myself in the right position and in the right stance. And Jesus answers the question, there is nothing good that you can do. See, oftentimes we think about what we need to accomplish, even in religious circles. What good work is gonna show that I'm righteous? See, here's the big picture. God is more concerned with your heart attitude than with your accomplishments, God is more concerned with your heart than he ever is with your accomplishments. Matter of fact, there's a, there's a section of scripture in Matthew chapter seven that says, there are gonna be people who come to Jesus then. Did we not prophesy in your name and heal many people and cast out all these things and, and cast out demons and heal the sick and Jesus is gonna say, away from me, I never knew you. Why? Because you made it all about what you could do rather than worrying about the heart. And so I have to understand, in order to get eternal life, I have to make Jesus both Lord of my life and acknowledge him as God overall. See, because here's the big picture. If your heart is right, your performance will be right as a result of your heart. Here's where the Bible says this. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Out of the overflow of the heart comes the fruits of what I do. When I lash out, that is just simply a result of my heart. It's the sinfulness in my heart. When I lash out at a person, whether it's in impatience or anger, it is just simply an overflow of the heart. It shows the sinful nature I have inside. So what must I do to get eternal life? I have to make Jesus both Lord and God over my life. Number two, I have to know God is the only one good. Listen to what he says following that. Why do you ask me, about what is good. I mean, this guy comes to Jesus and asks him a question. Don't you hate when people ask questions back? Like, Jesus, what do I got to do to be good? Why are you asking me about what's good? What? what? Like, my intent was good, Jesus. I'm trying to find out what I got to do, and Jesus is trying to point him to a bigger picture, and that is this, that I have to know God is the only one good. See, that's what he's trying to get at. There is no one good, no, not one, the Bible says. There's this point that all of our righteousness is like filthy rags. We have to begin to understand that Jesus is trying to make a bigger picture. He's trying to make a bigger statement here. That regardless of what you do in life, you and I are still in the same predicament, the same struggle, and the same situation. That you and I are not good. Goodness is defined by a standard. And Jesus is the standard bearer. He is the mark that says the standard for goodness. And so when he says, what must I do to be good? Jesus says to, bro, there's only one good and you're not it. What I'm trying to say to you is this. I am the standard of goodness. Can you equal me? That's the big problem. Because a lot of times we think, well, I can do it. I can equal it. I could be equal to what's going on. I can strive for that. See, this young religious ruler acknowledges Jesus as teacher, but doesn't understand really who Jesus is. And that's what we just said. But many in today's world believe they've done good things. Listen, there's all kinds of great things that have gone on. I can go down the road. If you wanna talk about Tom's shoes, we can talk about World Vision. There are all kinds of good things that people have accomplished. Some Christian-based, some not Christian-based. They are good things that people have attempted to accomplish, but that does not earn you eternal life or a seat in the kingdom of heaven with God. So what Jesus is trying to point to this man is to say, look, you're not the standard. I am the standard. This is what he says again. Jesus replied, there is only, and if you like to circle and stuff, one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Here's, here's what Jesus is trying to say. If you think you're good, I want you to keep the commandments. At which point, what's he say? I've done all that. Listen, the 10 commandments are broken up into two really groups. The first four are all about the commands that you keep in relationship with God. The next six are commands that you keep in relationship with other men. And that's what Jesus says. Look, okay, if you want to follow this, if you want to be good, then you got to keep the commands. And which ones, the man inquired. Jesus replied, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, don't give false testimony, honor your father and mother. And he leaves out covetousness. In other words, don't covet your neighbor's wife and, and other things. But then he says this, what would be out of Leviticus chapter 19. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he's laying out this big picture to know that God is the only one good. Jesus is not merely a good teacher or prophet. Jesus is the standard. And Jesus is saying, if you can't live up to this standard, then you miss the big picture. Here's the thing. All the law does, according to the New Testament, according to the Bible, all the law does is show how bad we are. This is one of my big pet peeves. Look, I understand the desire to maybe put the Ten Commandments in front of some state buildings and and things like that. But listen to me. What do the 10 commandments based upon scripture's teaching do? They reveal how bad we are because you and I can't. Matter of fact, I've said this over and over and over again. It's probably gets sick running through your mind. But the funny thing about this upside down kingdom, the king in this kingdom idea is this. Jesus always changes the standard, or Jesus ups the standard, I should say. In the Old Testament, he says, listen, what we just talked about, do not murder. But Jesus goes on and says that if you've looked at a brother, or if you've you've committed murder in your heart, in other words, you hate a brother in your heart, you have committed murder of that brother, all right? He says, do not commit adultery, but if you've looked at a woman lustfully, you've committed adultery. All right. Jesus raises the standard. Why? Is he trying to show us that we can't accomplish it? Yes. He's trying to say you can't live up to the standard. And here's the big picture. Jesus comes in and he says, look, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law. Jesus says that the law shows us how sinful we are. We can't live up to the standard. So Jesus says, I live up to the standard for you. So I have to know that God is the only one Good, And that includes Jesus' son. There is no one good, no, not one. If you want to enter life, obey the commandment. So if Jesus is God, he's also Lord or master or the boss, and he calls the shots. If you come to Jesus, you must have come to him. You must come to him for eternal life on his terms, not on your terms. When you enter a contract to buy a car or a house, I mean, you can, to a certain extent, manipulate that contract. You can say, well, I want it this way. And it might be a negotiation. Listen, there's no negotiation with God. God says, you enter this on my terms, or you don't enter at all. I must be Lord of your life. In other words, master of your life, and God over all, or you don't believe in me. So he is either Lord of all, or he's not Lord of all at all in your life. Listen to Romans chapter three, verse 23. We sin in that we fall short of God's glory, right? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See, God's holy and perfect character, that's the standard for God's righteousness is God's own holiness himself. So we have to know that God is the only one good. Jesus is diverting attention from the young man's inadequate criteria for entering into life and rather focusing on the goodness of God. See, what we want to do usually is this. We set up the criteria based upon, listen, not God's standards, but how we view somebody else. Well, I'm better than that guy. I can do better works than them. I mean, look at that dude. I mean, he's, in, he's been in jail, he's suffering from addictions, he's he beat his wife. Right? Man, I blow that guy out of the water. But that guy's not the standard. Jesus is the standard. And so I have to know that God is the only one good. Number three, what must I do to get eternal life or inherit eternal life? We have to accept that we are not good. See, the reason he sensed a lack of something is that he was missing out on the greatest thing. Listen, even as a believer, as a Christian, if you put your faith and trust in Christ, you still have to be in the understanding that you need the gospel more and more every day. You need more and more Jesus in your life every day. Why? Because you're not good. There is nothing good in you other than Jesus Christ. He takes what is broken and makes it new. He takes what is old and makes it new. He takes what is beat down, discouraged, and he says, I can bring life to what is dead. So you have to know that God is the only one good. That's number two. Number three, you have to accept that we're not good. There is no one good, no, not one. As a matter of fact, Jesus tells him, listen, Jesus is telling him basically to honor the moral code, how you treat other people, okay? He lays that out. This is what I want you to do. And listen to what the young man says. I've kept them all. Are you kidding me? All of these, listen, I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? I believe that this is one of the biggest things that the church can learn. Growing up, we were always taught to follow the rules. Listen, I'm not saying that you don't have a standard. Jesus is the standard. But there was this idea that if I did certain things, it creates a legalistic mindset. And legalism does not lead you to salvation. Salvation is found only in Jesus Christ, not in anything you do. We do what we do, not because we're trying to earn God's grace and God's favor. We do what we do because God's grace and God's favor is already lived out in us. And as a result, our heart is changed. And because our heart is changed, now we love our neighbor. The result of loving my neighbor, or the result of my heart change is loving my neighbor. And because I love my neighbor, it's just a natural overflow of the heart. Why? Because out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Loving my neighbor is living out that moral code, those, those, those statements, but loving my neighbor is loving my neighbor as myself. Looking at my neighbor and saying, this is, this is why I love you. This is why I tell you about who Jesus is. See, Jesus is showing him how he was not good enough. Jesus is trying to lay it out. You're not good enough. And this guy, all he says is, what do I still lack? He realizes it. What must I do to gain eternal life? All of those things I've kept. In other words, I have been the utmost religious person in this world, and yet I still fall short. He knows it. What do I still lack? And Jesus really gets to the heart of the issue, and I think this is the big thing, and I think it should bring an awareness to us. He had done so much good in life, but was still missing out on the purpose that God brings to life. And I hope you hear that out. He had done and been so successful and had done so much good in life, but was still missing out on the purpose God brings to life. When my relationship with God through Christ is right, then I understand God's purpose and God's plan for my life. But yet, listen, his heart was controlled by money. Because listen to what he says in verse 20, or verse 21. Jesus answered, if you wanna be perfect, now listen, listen, Jesus has already laid out the standard for perfection is who? Himself. And so he goes right at the heart of the matter with this young man. If you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions. And give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then, listen what he says, come follow me. You hear the big statement Jesus is saying? you have to get rid of what's in control of your heart and follow him. You have to push out what's in control of your heart and follow him. What is it that sits on the throne of your heart that maybe allows you to continue to think, what good must I do? What do I still lack? Because Jesus is trying to show this young man who has his whole life still ahead of him, who's accomplished everything under the sun from a human standpoint, from a worldly standpoint. He's trying to show this man that all of those things you've accomplished are useless and meaningless because they won't bring you value in the end when it comes to the eternal kingdom. What, must, what good must I do? And Jesus says, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor. Here's, here's what I want you to even think about on this. If you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor. Does he say sell all of them? Is he putting them to the test? What is he doing? And I think what happens is this. Jesus is putting him to the test to find out the condition of his heart. I remember, and I think I said something about this a couple weeks ago, I remember when I was playing baseball in college. It was the end of my sophomore year, and I felt God calling me to ministry. And in the midst of feeling called to ministry, I thought maybe he was telling me to get out of baseball. So I remember telling him, God, if, if, if baseball is my idol, if that's the thing that I need to lay down so that I follow you obediently, then I'll lay it down. And I remember him just clearly as I was praying, just telling me, look, I'm not asking you to give up baseball. I'm asking you to use baseball for my glory, for my kingdom, that in every way, shape, or form that you can, you use your gifts, talents, and abilities that I have given you to bring glory to me. See, here's the big kicker. If this young man's possessions would have been put use for the kingdom because he would have said, hey, I come to you with faith, knowing that I put my trust in you and I will use my possessions and my power and my, my influence for your kingdom, completely changes it. But Jesus knew what had his heart. And what I'm telling you is this, whatever has your heart is what's going to gear or, or drive you. Why? Because where my treasure is, there my heart will be also. So listen, here's the last one. What must I do to get eternal life or gain eternal life? I have to have faith in the person and work of Christ. I have faith. Have faith in the person and work of Christ that he saves us, all right? Faith in the person and work of Christ. And listen to how he lays this out. Jesus answered, if you want to be perfect, go sell your possessions and give to the poor, and then you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad because he had great wealth. Then the disciples said to Jesus, I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man. Sorry, then Jesus said to his disciples, that kind of sounded weird. I tell you the truth, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And when the disciples heard this, they're greatly astonished. They asked, who then can be saved? And Jesus looked at them and said, with man, this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. See, here's what I have to understand. I have to have faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Remember what he said. He was acknowledging this guy, or he was the, the young man was acknowledging Jesus as a teacher, when Jesus should have been acknowledged as Lord. So I have faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ. And so as we wrap this up, I want you to understand this. A faith that saves is a faith that repents and follows Jesus. Listen to what Romans chapter 10 says. If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What do I declare him as? Or what do I say? I believe in the heart that, or I declare with my mouth that Jesus is Lord, he is master, he is ruler over my life, and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. I have faith in the person of Jesus Christ, that he is Lord, and in the work of Jesus Christ, that Jesus died on the cross, that he rose again, defeating sin and defeating death. That's how I know I have eternal life. If I have my faith in the person and work of Christ, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is the Lord and believe in your heart. Why? Because this, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. In other words, it's not about the big I. What must I do to get eternal life? I have kept all these things. What do I still lack? It is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It's a gift of God. Now listen to this, not by works so that no one can boast. And I love this, for we are God's workmanship or handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. As a result of being saved, as a result of putting my faith and trust in Christ, as a result of declaring Jesus as Lord and believing God raised him from from the dead, God now creates me into a new creation. I am his handiwork to do good works. My good works are not a result of me doing good things so that I can earn God's grace. My good works are a result of God working in me so that I can show God's power and glory working in me. See, our faith can't be in our works because our works fall short of God's glory. And that's the big picture. See, the big thing is this, that this rich young ruler, he loved with an idolatry sense, he loved his wealth. That was his God. And whatever it is that you let sit on the throne of your heart is the very thing that will control you. Why? Because his riches came before God and everyone else. That's why he walked away. And so when Jesus lays it out with the disciples, look, it's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven, the disciples are like, whoa, wait a second. And he uses a great analogy, the largest mammal at that time known in the Palestinian area to the smallest thing they could ever use to describe it. And he says, look, it's just like a camel who could go through the eye of a needle. And everybody knows that's impossible. I mean, anybody ever sat on a camel, Smell the camel? They're nasty. You can't get them to go through an eye of a needle. Maybe the space needle, I don't know. Eye of the space needle, I don't know. Not gonna happen. And so Jesus lays this out, and the disciples begin to question Well, well then how is this gonna happen? And God says, Look, what's impossible man with man is is possible for God. When I put my faith and trust in Christ, when I when I when I believe that Jesus Christ is Lord, I place him as Lord over my life, and I confess that with my mouth that Jesus is Lord and that God raised him from the dead, then you'll be saved. That's the big picture. And the question is this. Do you gain the whole world and forfeit your soul solely because possessions, a job, family, acceptance, authority, power, may be the thing that controls me? See, I believe, and I'm gonna wrap up with this. I believe one of the biggest things, one of the biggest lies one of the biggest struggles that we as Americans struggle with is that we can do it. In the midst of being a nation that is strong and secure in who we are, we're also a nation of pride and arrogance personally, because we think we can do it on our own. We think we can gain God's grace, God's wisdom, God's salvation by doing our good works. Listen to this, and I'm going to finish with this. The question may not be today, It may not be riches for you, but it's what is in control of your heart. And R.C. Sproul, a pastor who has recently passed away, great theologian, says this, the only works of righteousness that serve to justify a sinner are the works of Christ. Apart from Christ, I am no good. I am a broken man, full of sin, not focused on the love of my neighbor, but with Christ, I love my neighbor. Let's pray. Father, we know that apart from you, apart from your son, Jesus Christ, that we are not good, that there is no one good, no, not one. And so God, I know today that maybe maybe there is something sitting in the throne of our heart that we struggle with, something that we know that is in control. And maybe, maybe there's somebody today who's never put their faith in Christ. They would They've they've never declared Jesus as Lord. He's master over their life. They've never uh, acknowledged his resurrection. And maybe today it would be something as simple as that, that they need to do that. Maybe your Holy Spirit is calling them out, drawing them. But God, I also know that there are some today that maybe we focused on works and what we can do to accomplish righteousness when we realize that righteousness is not accomplished apart from Christ. And so God, as we close with this song, we pray that you would have your way, that the spirit would move just as we sang earlier and that you would show us where we need to be. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.